0: Welcome to the Atmosphere Church Podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this message. We pray that it will touch your heart and change your life. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our desire is to help lead you in experiencing God by following Jesus. If you want to find out more information about us, head over to our website at atmosphere.church. We have already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the message.
1: So I want to poll you guys. How many of you have ever had somebody take a picture of you and maybe posted on their social media account or maybe like you're old school and you know somebody went to the drugstore and they, they printed off their picture. Remember we used to do that? It's weird. Um, but have you ever seen a picture of yourself and you thought to yourself, do I really look like that? How many, come on, how many have ever done that? Okay, so isn't it weird, I, I started thinking about it, isn't it weird that we can see ourselves in the mirror every day? But then we get a picture, a snapshot of ourselves. We're like, wow, we look so different. Because I I really do believe, like, sometimes we're blinded to our own shortcomings. (laughs) We really are. I'll never forget, I was in my early 30s. Okay, our kids were little. And, you know, we were somewhere, somebody took a picture of, of my wife Tara and I and our kids. And somehow, someway, I saw the picture. And I looked at the picture and I was in disbelief because I, I just lo- I looked terrible and I, I was like rocking a dad bod like really really badly at early 30s. And my wife mind you she was doing kickboxing classes working out like four days a week. I mean she was like this like Navy SEAL woman like she was and then here I was you know, not going to work out. I was a youth pastor at the time, eating, I think, in and out every day. And then I would drink, I'm not even kidding, a 32-ounce Frappuccino every day with whipped cream, all right? I mean, four shots of espresso. And, and I, you know, I was an energized youth pastor. Um, and, and so I was doing this, and I remember seeing this picture and in, in telling Terry going, wow, like, I look terrible. Like, do I really look, at, look like this? And, and she looked at me, and she's like, yeah, you know, you, everybody just kind of, you know, has their things. And, and I could tell she was being super nice, but she was saying, like, hey, you're out of shape. And so I went to a friend of mine, and I said, hey, do you think I'm out of shape? And his response is, well, round is a shape. So he wasn't very nice friend. Um. But it was was a woke moment. It was a a moment that I realized, wait a minute, like this snapshot of what I look like is really changing how I'm viewing life. Like I changed my diet after that picture. I I started going to the gym. I started working out more. I started doing more cardio. It it really was a wake-up call. I believe chapters two and three of Revelation, and we happen to be In our daily Bible reading plan, we happen to be studying the book of Revelation right now. So if you're unfamiliar with what we do daily as a church, we love to be in the Bible daily. And we believe the more that we're in the word of God, the more we are going to be walking with God during the day and uh, with our lives. And so we happen to be going into the book of Revelation. And I've never done a message like this where I'm talking about all the churches in one message. So it's tempting to keep you guys here for five hours because there is so much information packed into these two chapters of the book of Revelation. I mean, there, there are layers upon layers. If you are not new to church and you've done studies of Revelation, you know what I'm talking about right now. Like, you can geek out on the book of Revelation and just go deeper and deeper and deeper into it. It's like, it's like you know Alice in Wonderland. Just keep, The whole just keeps going. But because of time... I want to do a snapshot of these seven churches in the book of Revelation. If if you were to use another analogy, we're just going to do like a flyover approach. We're going to look at it from a 30,000 foot elevation without going on the ground and looking at all the details. And the reason I believe this is so important is not just because we're going to be reading about it in our daily Bible reading plan. I really believe that this is so timely for us as a as a church, and as believers to, to look at. Because if, if life were like a basketball game, and praise God, basketball returns on Friday night. I don't know how many of you guys are basketball fans, but I'm excited, my son's excited, go Warriors. I know I'm in Lakers country, but come on, you have to root for Steph Curry. Um, so we're pretty excited. But you know, basketball, if you never watch basketball, you could pretty much catch the whole game in the last two minutes. So the last two minutes, the game's still going, it's intensifying. Like everyone's all the players are playing a different level. And, and uh, the game changes back and forth so much. Like, I really believe that we are in the last two minutes of the game of life. I really do. Now, do I have a prediction when Jesus is coming back and all that? No, I don't. But I do believe as as we get towards the end, as, as we get towards the return of Christ, like we should expect things are gonna get messy, church. Things are going to get weird. Things are going to be just uncertain. I mean, this is all the way the book of Revelation kind of talks about the even Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew kind of talked about things happening kind of like what we're experiencing right now in 2020. So as we look at these snapshots, it's good for us to kind of come to a place of realization that maybe we don't quite look like we thought we looked. And maybe the, the spiritual condition of our lives aren't really the spiritual conditions of the life that Christ really is calling us to live for him. So Revelation chapter two, again, I'm, I'm kind of doing this flyover approach and we're gonna be looking at these churches. Now what you're gonna see, you're gonna see a common thread with all of these. Jesus is writing or he's given this vision to John. He's writing it down in the book of Revelation. So these are seven letters to seven churches. Seven meaning complete or perfect. That's the, the, the number that, that represents complete or perfect. So I believe we're getting a fullness, a completeness of every kind of church that, that you can imagine in this group of seven. Obviously, there weren't just seven churches a, a, in this era that the, the book of Revelation was written. But you get this completeness of these seven body types Of believers that were existing when John is writing down this vision. So, Jesus, in each one of these letters, he gives a strength of the church, he gives a struggle of the church, and then he gives some hope for the church strength and a struggle and hope, strength for those things that they are reviewing and, and good things that they're doing and the struggles to be revealed because sometimes, like I said before in that picture that I had when I was in my early 30s, sometimes you don't see the struggle. You need a snapshot and and some kind of outside resource to be able to reveal to you something that you can't see in yourself. And I believe this is what Jesus is doing through these letters that he's writing to these seven churches. Now, there's four ways that you can apply this. You can apply this uh, to the church locally that these were real churches. Like, I have a map. I don't know if you guys can see it on the screens, but these are actual churches existing in what we now call Turkey. In Bible times, they called it Asia Minor. But you can apply this thing uh, prophetically. Some Bible scholars believe that each church represents an era of church history. I don't know if necessarily... I am on board with that, but I could see where they come up with that. And then you could apply it generally speaking, like the church at large, like the gathering of the saints, the the meeting together of the saints. That's the church generally. And then I believe there is a fourth way to apply it, and that is personally. Like you you are part of the body of Christ. That's what the church is known for, the body of Christ. And each church is, is, is told, let him who has ears hear with the Spirit is saying to the churches. So you have ears, you hear, this is a personal message as well as a general message for your faith and your spiritual condition. And he's saying that this is a message for all the churches. So we're not supposed to read just one church, we're supposed to read all the churches together, collectively, and then we're to resonate. And here's the question I want you to ask yourself as I'm doing this overview, as I'm doing this flyover, is what body type best describes the spiritual condition that I'm currently in right now with my life? What body type do I belong to? And ask yourself that question as we go over this. And I gotta do this quickly, but let's look first of all, write this down, Ephesus, and each church has a description of what kind of thing was going on in the church. So we're branding the the church at Ephesus the loveless church. Now, Ephesus has a lot of, Uh, Leverage in the the New Testament. Of course, the book of Ephesians is about the church at Ephesus. A lot of the books that we read in the New Testament were written in Ephesus. Uh, A lot of ministry happened in Ephesus. They believed that it was like the mother church of Asia Minor was was in Ephesus. So it had major influence, major lives being changed, major uh, things happening, people being healed, good stuff. The, The kingdom of God was expanding. And here's the strengths. So, Jesus taking this snapshot, Church of Ephesus, saying, Man, you guys are crushing it. You're doing the right things. You're working hard. You're persevering under pressure. You're not putting up with evil shenanigans like you're, you're blocking them out. Like, like you are doing really, really good at all the things that you're supposed to do. And he says, But this is your struggle. You've left your first love. So, they were doing all the work but they were doing it without the love. This is what I call check the box Christianity. This is like, well, I'm gonna go to church, I'm gonna read my Bible, I'm gonna pray over my meals, but there's not this connection and this intimacy in this relationship and this love affair with God. God is, is almost like distant, and you could go through all the motions and you really don't even need this connection to God. This is the the struggle going on with the church at at Ephesus, and this is kind of the struggle that happens to a lot of people because we're drifters in our lives, and you can have a strong connection with God today, and next week a, a, a few things hit your life, and your priorities get all scrambled, and now all of a sudden God's not the number one. Now there's a new number one, and God kind of, you know, drops down the list, and God's in your life, but God is not necessarily the top priority of your life. This is the struggle that's going on. Jesus answers this. He he says, hey, I get this struggle. It happens to all of us. Our priorities just get messed up. Priorities are one of those things that you have to constantly revisit and you have to constantly reevaluate. Like, okay, how am I doing? A lot of marriages struggle because the priorities get messed up. And work becomes more important than the marriage. And pretty soon, you're you're not feeling intimate with your spouse anymore. You feel more like a roommate. I'm speaking to somebody's marriage right now. And And it's not that you guys don't love each other. It's just that you're not being very loving towards each other. Does that make sense? And so that reprioritizing changes the intimacy within the relationship. So Jesus says, Matthew six thirty three, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So when God is the top priority, when your love affair with God is number one in your life, then everything else kind of works itself out. Things balance themselves out. And, and I don't know how else to say it, but when God is the top of your life, then everything else falls into place. When he's not, that's when things get a little quirky. Things get out of balance. And pretty soon, you're checking the box, you're going through the motions, but your heart is far from God. God is concerned more about his intimacy with you than what you do for him. Martha and Mary is a great analogy of this. Martha was busy in the kitchen doing all of these things to try to Make this awesome party for Jesus and, and his guests. And Mary, her sister, was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha was like, how dare she? She's just like sitting here, she, she's lazy. And Jesus says, you need to do more of what she's doing because what she's doing is more important than what you're doing. So sometimes we get mistaken. We think what we're doing for God is more important than just being with God. Some of you, I'm telling you, wake up early every day this week hang out with God put on some worship music and just hang out with him before you just go out and get busy and start doing things for him that's the church of Ephesus the church of Smyrna write this down they're the suffering church the suffering church they're a church well they're faithful their strength they're faithful even when surrounded by opposition and even though they're poor in wealth they're rich toward God So Jesus is commending them. He's high-fiving them, going, good job, man. You guys are surrounded by all this opposition. Matter of fact, he says that the synagogue of Satan is working against your lives. Isn't that crazy to think about? But it makes sense because as you make progress in your relationship with God, you should expect opposition. Because the opposer, the adversary opposing you, his name is Satan in the Bible. And he's real. He's real. To understand your faith without the belief in spiritual warfare, opposition, or Satan is like trying to understand the movie The Lion King without Scar. You guys have watched Lion King, haven't you? Scar, right? The Uncle Scar. He messes everything up. So you understanding faith and you understanding a relationship with God without thinking about Satan, without thinking about spiritual warfare, you're not going to figure things out. Because you're going to have all of this kind of struggle in your life, and some of it, if we're honest with ourselves, some of it's self-inflicted, bad decision making. Of course, yeah, you know, uh, I racked up a bunch of debt. I'm, uh, you know, credit cards. I'm in debt. I'm, I, I have financial struggle in my life. Yeah, that makes sense. I can't say that's a, a spiritual warfare struggle. But then there's these other things, like some of you fighting with your spouse on the way to church this morning. Come on, that's a setup, right? It's like where'd that come from? Maybe another situation and another relationship where it's amped up and it's becoming bigger than it really needs to be. It's like, hmm, who's behind this? To not expect a pushback as you push forward is foolish in your faith with God. To not expect to push back as you push forward is foolishness in your faith in God. 1 Peter 5, verse 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The struggle that you have in spiritual warfare is actually a sign that your life is moving in the right direction. You know, it's a compliment. When the devil's moving against your life, you're like, oh, it must be going in the right direction. The, The time you should be worried is... When nothing's opposing you and everything's moving, you're like, hmm, something is, I'm very suspicious right now. You don't want to be the kind of guy or kind of girl that when you wake up in the morning, the devil's not worried about you. He's like, hmm, I don't really have to mess with their life because they're not really a threat to me. They're not doing anything. The church of Smyrna was a threat to the kingdom of darkness, and so they were being opposed, and that was their difficulty. That was their struggle. Here's the third church. This is the church of Pergamum. This is the compromising church. Revelation 2, verse 13 talks about their strength. It says, I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. So they, were, they weren't selling out. They were surrounded by Satan. They were living in Satan's city, And they were still pronouncing and professing Jesus as the center of their lives. That's pretty cool. They're not letting the evil intimidate them. They're not letting letting the devil intimidate them. Now, if you were to think Satan city in 2020, what city comes to your mind? Las Las Vegas, right? Why, what do we call Vegas? Sin City. Now, some of you that are new to our church, you don't know this, but we lived there for 10 years. We led a church there for 10 years. And I want you to know that even though it's called Sin City, God is at work in Sin City and where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That's what the word of God tells us. And I've seen so much grace in that city, but that's not to sugarcoat the sin that's happening there because it is next level in Vegas. And it's crazy to think like you could live in Vegas and still honor and worship God. And it's possible. There are a lot of great churches in Vegas besides the one that I was leading and, and the one that I was a part of but I remember when we first moved there, Josiah was really little, we went to a minor league hockey game in the city and was down towards the strip, and we got in our car and we were driving home, and my wife was just feeling the oppression over that city, and she was saying like, I don't know if I am comfortable like raising a son here. And of course, I was excited to be leading this church, so I downplayed it. I'm like, oh, come on, babe. There's a Vegas in every city. It's called the internet. Everybody has access to a Vegas, right, and as I'm saying this, it was like, it was, it was just a setup, a van pulls up next to us, we're at a stoplight, a van pulls us, uh, pulls up next to us, and it's wrapped with naked women on it, st- strategically covering up certain body parts, and it was, it was, it was so funny, because, like, it pulls up, and my wife's, like, looking at me, listening to me, then she just glances over, and she sees the van, then she looks back at me and she says, so you're saying that every city has that, in which I said, touche. I mean, how many of you would freak out if you pulled up right here at Moore Park in a 101 and this van is wrapped? You'd be like, what in the world is happening? But in Vegas, that was just commonplace. So it, it is. But, but to say, like, you're surrounded by this pressure and, and you are still lifting up the name of Jesus, that is a strength. But then the struggle comes in, and it's it's pretty concerning, because what Jesus tells the church at Pergamum is he says there's some that have gotten off track because they have followed the teachings of Balaam and the Nickelodeons. Now, I don't want you to think I'm, I'm preaching against Paw Patrol or Drake and Josh, all right? Uh, that's Nickelodeon. This is the N- Nickelodeons. This is like really. There's not a lot known about them in history, other than some believe that they were a group of a group of people that believe that anything goes when it comes to faith. Like you can do anything, and God will just forgive you, and you and 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 you're good. So just go and live however you want. Some people believe that that was the teaching that they ascribed to. So what? Jesus is telling Pergamum, it's like you follow the the teaching. Some of you have followed the teachings of Balaam and the Nicolotians, and it's not good. And Balaam is this story in the Bible where he's a man of God. He's working for God, and he was with the Israelites, and The king of Moab comes to him and says, hey, we want you to curse Israel because we want to beat them in battle, and we know that God's favor is on them, so if you curse them, we know that God's going to listen to you. So Balaam takes a large sum of money, and he says, okay, I'll do it. He tries to do it three different times, can't do it. So he finally gives up, and he tells the king, he says, listen, this is what we're going to do. I don't have to curse him, because all we have to do is have your women marry the Israelite men and We will veer them off track because they will introduce our men to these foreign gods. And then pretty soon, they will just start veering off track. They will get away from worship of Yahweh. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. So the teaching of Balaam, the teaching of these Nicolotians was this subtle way, this this slow way of methodically getting people of God off track and veer them through compromise just to kind of lower the gates and invite things in to your life that you know intuitively and spiritually are probably not healthy for you to participate in, but it's not super dangerous, so it's okay. We'll we'll let it come in, and the grace of Jesus will cover us. Jesus is saying, that's not good because that's how people veer off course. That's how they get their lives into this mess, and it's always a slow fade. People don't just wake up and say, I I just want to divorce myself from God, and my faith, and all that. People don't just wake up. They slowly fade into that space, like that old casting crown song. You know, people just don't wake up and say, I'm gonna sabotage my life today. It's a slow fade. It's small steps of compromise, not a large leap into destruction. I like how D.L. Moody, famous Bible evangelist of the, 19, or the 19th century says, Christians should live in the world, but not be filled with it. A ship lives in the water, but if the water gets into the ship, she goes to the bottom. So Christians may live in the world, but if the world gets into them, they will sink. So Pergamum has lowered their, their gates and allowed things in when Jesus is saying, raise the gates up. There's stuff that you should not let in so that you can protect yourselves and keep yourselves moving forward and having the progress that you have. And now here comes Thyatira. Thyatira, if you want to look at it this way, is like one step beyond Pergamum. Where Pergamum is flirting with danger, like maybe a first kiss with someone, like Thyatira is like you, you've moved in with them. You, you've, you've now kind of progressed in your compromise, now you're living with it. And what you thought used to be wrong and bad for your life, now you're calling good and positive for your life to where you're even celebrating it. That's Thyatira. The longest judgment out of all seven churches are reserved for Thyatira. This is what the letter says in verse 20. It says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality, eat things sacrificed to idols. You now, some of you are like, who's Jezebel? Well, Jezebel is an Old Testament character. She was an evil queen, married to Ahab, an uh, uh, evil king of Israel. And her whole guilty pleasure was to get the Israelites away from Yahweh, worship of Yahweh, of, of the true God of Israel, to Baal this foreign God, and she celebrated to the point where she killed the prophets of God, the priests of God, she had them killed. And the accusation, the struggle here, is that Jesus is telling the church, you're tolerating her. This, and I don't think it's a real woman. Like, because some of you are like Jezebel. Like, when's the last time you heard somebody named Jezebel? <laughs> it's not a trending baby name of 2020, all right? Why? Because of this lady's story, the Old Testament. Like, they're like, don't you dare name your baby Jezebel. And uh, that, that, we'll just leave it there. But saying you tolerate, and isn't the word tolerant, it's, it's kind of like a trigger word in our culture. I, I, if I say, t- like, you, you're tolerant. There's some of you like, ooh, like you, you've been maybe on social media, media battling this, this conversation of tolerance and intolerance. And, you know, if you're intolerant, you're, you know, you're a hater and, and you're, you're just an, you're not a very good person. So I use this word tolerant in a biblical way, not in a modern day culture way. Being tolerant today uh, is, is just kind of being loving and, and agreeing even when you disagree. That, that's being tolerant. And I would say I'm a tolerant person when it comes to people and their lifestyles and how they're living. I'm very tolerant. But this isn't the same kind of tolerant. And in ancient you know, times, and this is being written, this is like, hey, this is you not just accepting somebody because we're all supposed to accept everybody. This is you approving them. This is like signing on the bottom line and saying, hey, I approve Of this message I approve of this life Jezebel signing her name on it and Jesus is saying Tyra, that's not good like we are to be accepting of every human being because every human being has unsurpassable worth and Christ died for them so yes we are to accept everyone as Christ has accepted us but in the same degree Christ does not approve of everything we do does he there are things that we do that are directly opposed to what god approves of and we get convicted and, and we push back against it as people of god so just because you accept doesn't mean you approve and there's a big difference and so i would say this word tolerate is saying you're approving this you're celebrating this and this isn't good because when you are following christ there is going to come a time come a moment where the lifestyle of the world is just going to be like that That is in direct contrast to how God wants me to live my life. And this is the idea of holiness. Holiness is living your life set apart for a special purpose of God. So we see what the world's doing, everything that they're proving, everything that they're doing, and we're saying, you know what? I'm not going to do that because I believe in a greater purpose for my life that God has for me, and I'm going to choose to not do this on purpose for the greater work that God wants to do in me. That's holiness, church and it's not being preached enough. There's a holiness that God wants from our life. There's a set-apartness that God wants from our life so that we don't let things move into our life that will inevitably destroy our life. Second Corinthians seven verse one says, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Here's what I know. The world is hostile towards the idea of holiness. So when everyone is doing stuff at work and you're not participating in it, there's, there's probably going to be a pushback, a rejection. You should expect that. It's just, it's just going to happen. But you're saying, I, I'm going to choose that for the greater purpose of what God wants to do in my life. And I can't have what God wants for my life if I continue to participate in these things. Are you with me? All right, that's Tyra. Tyra. So what we need to pray is say, Lord, is there anything in me that I've allowed to move into my life that needs to be purged from me so that I am not guilty of allowing in this Jezebel-type spirit that wants to come in and take over? Here's the next one, Sardis. I call this the zombie church. <laughs> You've seen, I'm sure, the walking dead, right? This is like, they're, they're asleep. The church is asleep. It says, you're alive, but you're dead. What is that? A, that's a zombie, right? They're alive on the outside, uh, right? And they're, but they're dead on the inside. That's a zombie. So this is zombie church. And, and the accusation, I, I mean, this is funny. In this letter, Jesus goes straight to the struggle. He didn't even waste his time. Like, there, there's really no strength there. Let's just go straight to the struggle. And your struggle is that you need to wake up. You, you've fallen asleep. Confession time. How many of you have ever fallen asleep at church? <laughs> Turn to your neighbor right now and say, wake up. And hopefully you're not sleeping now, but I've I've been guilty. I've been guilty once or twice. We do it. And this this wasn't because they had a bad Saturday night. This was a lifestyle that they were living asleep to the ways and movement of God for their life. And I don't even like it says wake up twice, but I, I don't even think that's the, the biggest part of the struggle. The biggest part of the struggle to me as I'm reading Sardis was that they were. They had a reputation that they were this way at church, but when they would go home and they would close their front door, they were a whole different kind of family. They were a whole different kind of person. That was just who they were. We call that hypocrisy. Where you say you're this way, but really internally you're this way. And God knows your heart, God knows the mind. You can't fool God. But these people were playing games with God. And and there were religious people when Jesus was alive that did this. They were called Pharisees. And Jesus gave them a warning. He gave them a snapshot in Matthew 23. He says, What are you teachers of the law of Pharisees, you hypocrites? You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people as righteous. But on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Here's the problem. That if they stay asleep, Jesus is going to return for his church, and they're going to miss it. Jesus has a whole chapter devoted in Matthew chapter 25 to this phenomenon. And he gives another couple analogies. Read it later this week. But that was the problem with this church at Sardis. Their integrity was lacking. <laughs> their energy was failing them. They just they needed a movement of the Spirit of God. And a, they needed a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit to blow into their life, to wake them up and to set them right with God. Some of you right now, you're struggling with integrity. You're struggling and just sleeping. You're asleep to the, the ways of the Spirit of God moving in your life. That's the church of Sardis. But the strength is not every one of you is like this. There's a remnant that's not asleep. And the encouragement is, God can do a lot with a a, a little. God can take a remnant of 12 and change the world. Can can I just give you that word for somebody? He can do a lot with your little. Don't don't ever hesitate on stepping into something God's telling you to do because you feel like you don't have enough. When God's involved, you always have more than enough. How many need that word this morning? That's That's not on my notes, all right? That's straight... Download from God right there. And here's the next one. Philadelphia, the faithful church. Their strengths, they had open doors and they walked through them. They, they had little strength. They kept the word of God. They haven't denied God. Whereas Smyrna got a high five. These guys, I feel like God's giving them a double high five. Like your snapshot's looking good. Like your body, man, you're, you are are you got you got those great abs, you got, you're fit, you're good, you're in the struggles. There's really no struggles. The only struggle that I I could read into that, and I don't even know if it's a struggle, was that they worked in little power or little strength. That word is like micro, micro strength or micro power. So maybe you could say they they could have like pushed the gas pedal a little bit more, but I would think that maybe reading more into it than what it's there. But the directive there is like, if this is you, just keep doing that. Keep on trucking, Jesus is saying. Colossians 1.11, the Passion Translation. We pray that you would be energized with all his explosive power from the realm of this magnificent glory filling you with great hope. And the last church is Laodicea. This pray the roughest judgment because they, they don't have any strengths to mention. They're just all about the struggle. And Jesus is saying, hey, you guys have been blessed so much that you have gotten off track. This isn't an indictment against being rich. It's the indictment of the attitude that comes a lot of times with being rich. The attitude of, I'm independent. I don't need God in my life. You forget sometimes in your wealth that you are still spiritually poor with God. A lot of people do. A lot of Americans struggle with this part. And what happens is when we're not fully intentional to step in to be fully dependent on God, we tend to keep one foot with God and then the other foot with the world. And there's an old Chinese proverb that says, he who has a foot in two boats will split his pants. (laughs) That's what happens to a lot of people. you, You can't make progress in your relationship with God if you're just halfway in and halfway out. And this is what Jesus calls lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. God would rather you be hot or cold. He says, the lukewarm I spit out of my mouth. That word is vomit. So when you're living this way, when you've... Compromising to a point where you're just like, I don't really need God. I'm fine without him. And you're only coming to God when there's some crisis that breaks out in your life. You know people like that in your life where the only time you see them at church is like something bad is happening. You pray with them. They're a friend. They reach out to you. They text you. You're like, hey man, let's pray for you. Let me talk to you. And then you get them all encouraged and get them all rived up and, and they're back on track with God and everything kind of you know, kind of subsides and they ghost you again. I've had that happen so much in the years of me being a pastor. I'll say, "Hey, I see you next crisis. See you next time you got a struggle in your life." That's the Church of Laodicea. And out of the seven body types, here's we need to land this. Ben, I'll have you come out. Out of the seven body types, which one do you think best describes your spiritual condition right now? I want to get serious with you in a moment because. Only two of these seven were in pretty good conditions. The rest of them, there were some challenges that were thrown out to them. But here's the good news. Regardless of what body type you put yourself into, what category you see yourself in, here's what you need to understand. There's still time to change. There's still time to change your spiritual condition. Remember, we're two minutes in to the final of the game. And even though you've been living your life this way, in these last two minutes, there's a way that you can change the direction of how you've been living your life and how you've been living your faith. This is what the Bible calls repentance. It means to change your mind. It means to change directions. And this word repentance pops up quite a few times in chapter two and three, because God loves us so much, he's not gonna sit back and, and make us feel like we're in one condition when our reality is we're in this whole different condition. He wants us to see the condition we're really in so that we can change and really cling and benefit from the blessings and the promises that he has for his church. And the promises that are listed over and over again in chapter two and three are always conditional based upon how we're living our faith out in this world. Seven different times he says, he who overcomes, for he who overcomes, he overcomes, for he who overcomes, he that overcomes, he that overcomes, he that overcomes, he that overcomes. What's the point? The promise is given to the overcomer. And God has given you his spirit so that you're not just a survivor. It's so that you can be an overcomer, and that you can change And you can start experiencing the relationship with God that he desperately wants you living in so that you can step into the full promises that God has for your life. Would you just stand with me? We're going to worship. But Father, as we stand, God, whatever spiritual condition that you're showing us we're in today, God, we want to repent. We want to make a change. God, we know that through your power we can change. We know through your power, God, we can take on some of these qualities of the ideal church that you've had in mind from the very beginning. A church that loves you more than works for you. A a church that is moving in such a strong direction, living their faith out loud, that we have opposition coming against us. A church with no compromise. A church that is living holy. A church that's living awake and with integrity. A church that's walking through open doors that you put in front of us with full power. God, a church that's awareness of our spiritual poverty and our need for you no matter how much wealth we have. God, that's the church That's the body that you desire us to be. And I pray, God, with your Spirit's help right now, God, we could become that body. Atmosphere Church, us personally, God, let us become that body. Holy Spirit, convict us, change us, mold us, shape us. We just love you in
0: Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship, church. Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms, and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official website at atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you? To make a donation, simply go to our website and click the link that says GIVE. Your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, we pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love.